our video guy, man, I never watched the video, the intro videos to the series, and he seems like he's been on an 80s kick lately. The last three series have kicked off with kind of an 80s vibe. Man, 2020, how many of you say that was just an insane year? It was crazy. I don't know. It, it was a great year on many accounts, but man, it was an insane year. Viruses, shutdowns, riots, protests, politics, people losing their jobs, people not knowing what the future holds. It was just an insane year. And I got a kick out of everybody that was on social media December 31st saying, man, can't wait for 2020 to be gone and bring on the greatness of 2021 like the clock was going to hit midnight and everything was just going to change. It's funny how we think that, isn't it? I don't know that things will get better. I don't know that things will get worse. The reality is we don't know what the future holds, but it sounds cliche. We know who holds the future. God is not surprised by what is taking place. We shouldn't be surprised either. Bible says over and over and over that as the days go on, things will get worse and worse and worse. Our faith is not built on our circumstances. And if your faith is built on your circumstances, that's not faith. Our faith is built on the fact that God is God and we are not. God is in control of those situations. That being said... As I said earlier, the Bible says every man must give an account for himself. We are responsible for the choices that we make. We are responsible for the decisions that we make. We are responsible for the path that our life goes down. Us and only us can live out the vision and the purpose and the passion that is burning within us. If there was ever a time to step back, evaluate If there was ever a time to sit back and review, if there was ever a time to take a personal inventory of our lives, it's after 2020. I I don't know about you, but it made me evaluate all types of things in my life. It made me evaluate my life as a dad. It made me evaluate my life as a husband. It made me evaluate how I handle finances in my life. It it caused me to step back and evaluate how I deal with my professional life and and where I want to go professionally. It, It caused me to sit back as I gained about 32 pounds through COVID to evaluate, man, holy smokes, if I want to live past a virus, I better get my own self back in shape if there was ever a time I feel like someone's trying to shoot me from the back back there there was ever a time to evaluate and look at the areas in our life that we want to change and I don't want to I don't want to use new year's resolutions because new year's resolutions are hogwash but if there was ever a time we want to sit back and begin to rebuild it's right now there was ever a time to sit back and look at every aspect of our life and figure out the parts of our life that need a rebuild, it is right now. We're launching a new series today called Rebuild, and, and I don't know what it is today that you need to rebuild, but I know there's not a person here today who has it all together. Look to the person to the right of you. Now look to the person to the left of you. You know the good news about the person to the right of you? is they're just as screwed up as the person to the left of you. You might look at them and think they have everything all together. You might think, man, if I could just have it together like they have it together. But the reality is each and every one of us have some aspect of our life that we can rebuild and that we need to rebuild. I don't know what it is in your life that is broken. I don't know what it is in your life that has been destroyed. But I know there's some aspect of your life. And the problem with so many of you is the part of your life that is broken has been broken for so long that instead of you realizing it's broken, you've just learned to adapt and live with the brokenness in your life. You've got comfortable in your discomfort. Let me repeat that. I said you've become comfortable 
in your discomforts. You've learned how to function in your dysfunction. Well, I'm 60 years old and this is the way it's always done. You've been a freaking mess for 60 years. You've been a screw up for 60 years. Nobody in your life wants to be around you. You have nothing after 60 years and you're still claiming to the fact, well, I've just been that way for 60 years. Then grow the hell up. But I'm 60. You probably have 20 more years to live. I saw something the other day that blew my mind. Did you know the biggest group of entrepreneurs in the world is retirees? Because they're retiring and realizing, man, I have 25 or 30 more years to live. David, is it this mic? If I used a handheld, would that help at all? Oh, thank you. Was that the Lord or was that, was that David? Yes, Lord. They're retiring and realizing, man, I got 30 more years. I'm 44 years old. Possibly I've got 44 more years to live. Why would I settle for where I am today when I had the same amount of years left to live? You know how much I've been through in the last 44 years? I had a buddy of mine call me the other day and he got a consulting gig with a church. And he was mentioning the church and he was mentioning where the road was. And I said, is it such and such church? He said, yeah. He said, how do you know about such and such church? I said, I gave my life to Christ at such and such church. I said, you've heard my story about the little Indian preacher that screams and hollers all over the place. He's like, yeah. I said, that was at such and such church. I said, they called you about what? And it was a kind of a progressive idea. And I said, there's no way they're going to ever do that. And he said, what do you mean? I said, man, 20 years ago when I went to that church, it was X, Y, Z, bam, bam. And he said, yeah, and 20 years ago when you went to that church, you were X, Y, Z, and bam, bam, bam. And man, you're a lot different now. And he convicted me. I was like, whoa. How arrogant to think I can change over 20 years and yet they haven't changed. The fact that they called this guy about what they called him about showed there had been some moves towards being a little more progressive. Man, life is yours for the taking and so many of you are just sitting in your own crap and don't want to rebuild. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. You have the ability to rebuild whatever aspect of your life it is. We're going to be hanging out through this series in the book of Nehemiah. Those of you who know, Nehemiah is my favorite book in all the Bible. I love Nehemiah. And I actually found it a little bit surprising. I keep all my sermons on my computer. I have not preached out of Nehemiah in over three years. It used to be that I used to preach out of Nehemiah every year. But Nehemiah is a powerful book. And you need to understand something. You go back in this time and Jerusalem was a city that was being rebuilt. They were trying to, to, to rebuild what they had after years of captivity and being enslaved. But they couldn't rebuild the city. They couldn't uh, do anything with the economics of the city. They couldn't get the city back being vibrant because the walls that went around the city were broken down. You need to understand back in this time, a city's vitality depended on their walls. The walls offered them protection from outsiders. The walls allowed them to come and go as they deemed who could come and go. It allowed them the safety to be able to function knowing that they were safe. And so until the walls of a city had been built or the walls of a city had been rebuilt it was impossible for a city to thrive and the walls of jerusalem from the war hundreds of years ago had been broken down and here they were they're trying to restart this city and trying to get the economy back up and trying to build families and every time they'd get going the outsiders would come in and take them back down because there was no protection because the walls had been broken down But God sends a man who sees the destruction of the walls. And unlike everyone else who saw the destruction of the walls and just ignored it. Or unlike everyone else who saw the destruction of the walls and gave excuses on why they couldn't be rebuilt. Hello. Or unlike everyone else who saw the broken down walls and said, well, they've been broken down for hundreds of years. Just just leave them that way. 
Or, like everyone else who saw the walls broken down and said, hey, somebody else would do it. One man heard about the walls being torn down and decided he was going to do whatever it took to rebuild those walls. And as he rebuilds those walls, it's a great metaphor for rebuilding your life because you see the challenges that he goes through and the steps that he needed to happen and the principles that he needed to rebuild the walls are the exact same principles you need to rebuild your life. I don't know if it's a marriage you're trying to rebuild. I don't know if it's a relationship with your children you're trying to rebuild. It might be your career you're trying to rebuild. It might be your finances you're trying to rebuild. It might be your health that you're trying trying to rebuild. It might be a friendship that you're trying to rebuild. I I don't know what it is that you're trying to rebuild today, but I know the principles found in Nehemiah, if they're applied to that area of your life, will enable you to rebuild. You know the funny thing about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls? And we're going to get into the scripture here in a minute. I'm going to break down this story a little bit more. Not only did he rebuild the walls that had been down for hundreds of years, Not only did he rebuild the walls that everyone else was ignoring, he rebuilt the walls, don't miss this, in 52 freaking days. 52 days. It took 52 days to bring security back to the city. It took 52 days, less than two months To put the city in a position to thrive. Newsflash for you. When you decide to rebuild whatever area of your life that you're wanting to rebuild. The biggest step in doing it is simply deciding to do it. It'll happen a whole lot quicker than you think. But it will not happen with you talking about it. It will not happen with you feeling sorry for yourself about it. It will not happen with you feeling, boy, I pissed all of Facebook off this week. I made a post about depression. Did anybody see that? World War III broke loose over it. The funny thing was that I didn't say depression wasn't real. People read what they want to read. I didn't minimize depression. I even said in the post, you have no control over depression. I said, but the worst thing you can do in the midst of your depression is sit and wallow in your depression. Let me make this very clear to everybody watching online. I stand by that statement. The worst thing you can do is sit back and wallow in it. The worst thing you can do is sit back and wallow in the area of your life that you need to rebuild. Feel sorry for yourself. Let me make this very clear to you. Nobody else feels sorry for you. So you feeling sorry for yourself doesn't do anything anything. Matter of fact, it turns people off more than it encourages people. It makes it to the point where they don't have anything to do with you because nobody likes to see anybody wallowing and say, well, Gary, you just don't know what it's like. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? I lost everything 11 years ago. Back in March, I had to sit down And 100% of my wife's income is gone. And 100% of my income is gone. And yet amazing thing happened every time I went to the mailbox. There were still bills. They didn't seem to care that there was a pandemic. So I had a decision to make. I could sit around and wallow in it. And I did. I'm not going to lie to you. For about five days, I went into freak out mode, which is not my personality. I didn't know what we were going to do. Went to eat with some friends, left that meeting, and decided, I'm not going to sit around and wallow in my despair. We're going to do something about it. Was stressed about finances, and can I just be honest with you? We had our best financial year we've ever had in the seven years we've been married. You know why? Because I decided not to sit in the muck in the mire. It was a decision. Some of you don't have the testicular fortitude to make that decision. You'd rather feel sorry for yourself. You're weak. It's not very pastor-like. Let me repeat it again. You're weak. You're mentally weak. If Nehemiah can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls in 52 days, you can rebuild whatever it is in your life you need to rebuild. But you'd rather feel sorry for yourself. You'd rather hide it behind drugs and alcohol and sex and whatever it is that you're looking for to fill that gap in your life instead of realizing, man, God has a vision for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And if you'd get off your blessed assurance and get busy trying to implement that, your life would be different. 
hey, you're in trouble today because normally I come up here with about eight pages word for word notes and today I'm just winging it. So you're going to get me unfiltered more so than normal. Because I'm sick of people talking about rebuilding instead of rebuilding. Hey, I, I got some encouraging news for you today. Those of you here today that are the best of the best, those of you here today that are the brightest of the brightest, those of you here today that are the best looking, voted most likely to seed, maybe you were the head cheerleader in high school, you're the person who always has it together, you're the person that, that falls into a pile of crap and comes, smelling out, comes out smelling like roses. Those of you that have everything perfect in your life, I have some good news for you. God can use you too. But he specializes in using those that need rebuilding. He specializes in taking the broke, busted, and disgusted and shaping them and motivating them for his purpose. And as you read this story and you see this guy who goes out and rebuilds the wall, you would have thought that he would have been a king or a colonel, or a general, or some big high-ranking official who said enough was enough. But that wasn't who Nehemiah was at all. Nehemiah is what we would classify in America as just simply a regular middle-class guy. He had a government job. How many of you have government jobs? Government jobs, man, they're great. He had good benefits, vacation time, set hours. Knew his paycheck was coming on the 1st and 15th. He had a government job. His job was to be the cupbearer for the king. You say, what's that? It's a real simple job. You go everywhere the king goes. So you're around royalty all the time. You're at the greatest banquets all the time. Wherever the king goes, you go. And before the king takes a sip of his wine, you take the first sip. So you get to drink on the job. A lot of you are like, how do I sign up for that job? It's a great job until there's poison in the wine and the first sip kills you. That was his job, to make sure the wine was safe for the king. It wasn't a job they put the highest educated in. It wasn't a job they put the most successful in. You had a couple of qualifications. You had to be presentable because you went everywhere the king went. You had to be willing to take the first sip, and you really didn't have much choice because the king told you to do it. And you had to be trustworthy because you heard lots of things that a middle-class person wouldn't have heard about, and they needed to know you could be quiet and make sure that king decisions were not being spread all over the place. Nehemiah oh, was just a regular guy, just a glorified butler. <laughs> But he heard about something, and that something bothered him. Look what the Bible says in Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah in the month of Kesloff in the 20th year when I was in the citadel of Susa. So what he's saying is, is Nehemiah, he's identifying himself. He's letting you know when it was. It's Kesloff. That's not on our calendar. That was about late November, early December. So this would have been a time for us. We'd been getting ready for Christmas. Christ hadn't came yet. They weren't celebrating Christmas. But that would have been that time of year that it was going on. It, it was 444 B.C. So it was 444 years before Christ came on the earth. This is the modern day. Susa is the modern day Iran. If you want to get real technical and look at a map. <laughs> Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. That survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So what happens is he's in town, he's chilling, he's not working the job, he runs into an old buddy. He runs into an old buddy who's now living back in Jerusalem. How many of you ever run into an old buddy? The first thing you ask is, man, hey, how are things going back in the old town? I went to my brother's football game this last week, and I ran into several people that I knew from high school that still live in the area I grew up in. It's weird, you ain't seen them in 20-something years, so what's the first question you ask? How are things back in Decula? Boy, it's changing, it's growing, it's this. Oh, cool, man. Hey, you, you remember Flat Rock? Flat Rock was where we always went to party and you went to fight and do everything. I'm like, yeah, I remember Flat Rock. Man, Flat Rock's a golf course now. This huge community are telling me everything that's going on back in the hometown. And so that's what Nehemiah's doing. He just runs into someone. At the end of the day, Nehemiah really didn't care. Just like I didn't care. He was just asking a question. Hey, how are things back in the homeland? 
Now that those that had been exiled had been sent back, how are things going back there? How are things going in the city that had been desolate for hundreds of years? How are things going back home? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and great disgrace. He said, things aren't going good back home. The people are troubled. They're disgraced. They can't get the city back going. He says, here's why. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. At this moment, Nehemiah identifies the problem back in Jerusalem. Just as some of you have already identified the problem in your life. The minute I started talking about the broken thing in your life, you had to instantly it popped into your head. You have no purpose. You have no passion. Man, my marriage is horrible. Man, my kids don't love me. Man, my finances are tight. Man, maybe all the above. My life is just a total cluster. You know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But you know what it is. You know the area in your life that is keeping you from living up to the potential that you were created for. Instantly, Nehemiah hears about it. And look what the Bible says when I heard these things. I sat down and I wept. For some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Man, Nehemiah hears what has happened He hears about the walls being torn down. And the reality is he already knew the walls had been torn down. They'd been torn down, I think, if you do the math, it was about 140 years. But when he hears about this time, something different happens in his life. He begins to be broken over it. This is what I call his Popeye moment. Anybody remember Popeye? Remember every episode Popeye had his, his Popeye moment? I think I've used this illustration before when we had a debate, an argument. This is the kind of stuff we argue. Some churches over argue over theology. We argued over the name of Popeye's enemy. Was it Bluto or Brutus? See? See? It was both. But weren't they the same person? See? Deep questions at Action Church today. Regardless, though, the Joker was always trying to steal olive oil. Is that her name, Olive Oil? And every episode, Popeye got to a stand. Remember where he got to the point? And he said, I, what'd he say? I stands all I can stands. I can't stands no more. This was Nehemiah's Popeye moment. He hears about the walls being tore down. He hears about something need to be rebuilt. He, he, he's hearing about the things back in his hometown that are keeping his hometown from being the place that God was born in or God would be born in and God was chosen for. And he has all he can stand and he can't stand no more. And it's a breakthrough moment where he decides, you know what? The walls that are broken down are going to be rebuilt. My prayer for you today is today's your Popeye moment. My my prayer for you today is that you leave here with the mental toughness to say, you know what, I'm bigger than my... Aunt, scratch that. I hope you leave here today realizing God is bigger than your problems. You're not bigger than your problems. That's why you can't beat them. You keep trying to do it on your own. You're too weak. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. You can't fight supernatural fights in the natural. I hope today's your Popeye moment. I'm going to break it down for you over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to show you where you can't overcome your broken down wall by yourself. And I'm going to show you the importance of having people around you. I'm going to show you the importance of having resources. Nehemiah had all those. I'm going to show you the most shocking thing about rebuilding your life. This is going to be a life-changing series if you allow it to be life-changing. I'm going to show you the most shocking thing, though, that when you get ready to rebuild, the people you thought would celebrate and praise you as you're rebuilding will actually come along and criticize you. Can you believe Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and people started criticizing what he was doing? 
We're going to talk about how you're going to hit the wall halfway through. Remember I told you 52 days to rebuild the wall, 26 days in, the people were ready to quit on Nehemiah. You're going to want to quit as you rebuild. And that's actually the turning point of whether or not you're going to overcome it. Many times they say the best thing for an addict is the relapse, as long as they don't stay in the relapse. Because the relapse reminds them they got too comfortable. They quit working the steps. They quit doing what needed to be done. And it's the moment that they either fail forever, or they click in their head and say, I can overcome this. Man, this is an awesome book in the Bible. If you've been praying about reading your Bible in January 2021, start Nehemiah. It's an awesome story. But there's some things he did here that let you know what it is that you need to rebuild. (laughs) There's some things here that are the starting points. I'm just laying a foundation today because I can't give you all the answers in one day. I can't give you the answers, period, but I can't give you the answers from the Bible in one day. I can give them to you over 52 days because Nehemiah went through everything in 52 days you're going to go through. The first thing you've got to come to the conclusion is what breaks your heart? Let me make this very clear to you. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. You cannot rebuild until you're broken. You cannot rebuild until you're broken. Until you are truly broken over what it is that you're trying to rebuild. You will never begin the process of rebuilding until you are broken over how your marriage is going. You will never rebuild your marriage. If you're still making excuses for your marriage, if you're still trying to justify your marriage, if you're still trying to point the finger at the other person in your marriage, if you're trying to say that's just marriage, everybody has issues in their marriage, you'll never rebuild your marriage. You'll never rebuild your relationship with your children until you shut the hell up and listen to what the problem your children are telling you is. Hello. Even if you don't agree, it doesn't matter if you agree. Your perception and their perception are different. You're going to put yourself in their shoes. The problem is you try to justify what they're telling you instead of listening to what they're telling you. Christine, what do you tell me all the time? I can't remember the exact phrasing. I'm listening to respond Christine says, you're listening to respond. You're listening to argue with me instead of just listening to hear me. I hate that. But that's what so many of you do. Someone comes to you with an issue. They come to you with a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. And you won't even listen to what they're truly saying because the minute you hurt something, you just want to respond to it. You're not broken. You're never going to get your finances in order until you get broken over your finances. Until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired of not being able to pay your bills. Oh, BTW, most of you don't have a money problem. You have a spending problem. If I just made more money, no. If you just quit spending more than you made. But only make this, then don't spend more than this. It's not that simple. It's that simple. But the problem is you're not broken over it. You're not broken over it. Man. Verse 4. When I heard these things, what things? The wall was broken down. I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah wasn't the first person to hear about the walls broken down. He wasn't the first person to probably have the idea to rebuild the walls. But it seems like he was the first person that when he heard about it, it broke him. You know how I always know? So I deal with a a business person that has a lot of ideas. And at first when I met this person, he was always texting me ideas, 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 ideas. And then someone said, hey, ignore all of his ideas. Until the ideas go more than three days. I said, what? They said, he'll have ideas all the time and he's going to send them to you. If three days later he's still talking about that same idea, take it serious. Since for some days he mourned. 
Nehemiah heard about the walls broken down and it affected him for days. It broke him for days. He couldn't get over the fact that his people were back in the homeland and the walls were torn down. The walls were broken down. He couldn't get over the fact that people were doing without food and people couldn't get their businesses up and going and that they could not rebuild his homeland. And it just began to break him. What in your life is breaking you right now? You'll never see an addict get clean until an addict wants to get clean. They'll justify it. They'll excuse it. I'm never just going to quit having a drink here, and that's because you're an addict. You'd rather have a drink every now and then than have everybody in your life around you that loves you. You're weak. I'm never going to step out into, into this because of this. You're weak. What breaks you? Someone asked me one time, they said, man, how did you go down this career of always working for yourself? Here's how. Right when I graduated high school, I took a job. A real job, a real job. And I hated that job. I hated the job so much. Oh, by the way, it was an incredible job. To be 18 and make that kind of money... It was a job that people would have killed to have. But not only did I hate the job, every day when I got off the job, I couldn't even enjoy my evenings because I knew I had to get up the next morning and go back to that job. And I said, I will not live the rest of my life like this. So I chose a path. When I quit that job, everybody around me except my dad said, you're so crazy. Are you insane? Why would you walk away from that? Because I knew what I wanted for my life. And what I wanted for my life wasn't that. You got to get uncomfortable. <laughs> Here's what you got to do. You got to learn to embrace the suck. Instead of trying to make the suck go away. I said, you got to embrace the suck instead of trying to make the suck go away. You know why your answer is drinking? Because for a few hours, you can forget about how bad whatever it is sucks. The problem is when the alcohol wears off, the suck's still there. You know why some of you want to go mask it in a needle in your arm? Because you refuse to embrace the suck. When I lost everything, I had no choice but to embrace the suck. I lived in someone's basement. As a matter of fact, I lived in someone's basement in the same neighborhood we just bought a house in. And I used to sit in that basement. I'd go to work because guess what? I still had bills. Hello. I was miserable, had lost everything, but I still got up every day and went to work. Because I had responsibilities. And then I'd get home and my kids were gone, and I couldn't go out in town, and guess what? It sucked. My wife jokes that my tear ducts don't work. They're broke. She said, I've never seen anybody. But then the stupidest stuff makes me get all teary like a Publix commercial. You know, We're watching Grays the other day, and I'm like, just like are you crying? I'm not crying. So I, think my, I don't think they're broke. I think they're just programmed wrong. But man... I sat down in that basement and I wept day after day after day. I'll never forget the first Thanksgiving. I dropped my kids off. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I pulled out of their mother's house and I took a left. Oh, look, look, listen to the irony in this. I pulled out on 20 from White, Georgia to come to Canton. And it was the first time I ever heard that stupid Zach Brown song, Highway 20 Ride, about losing his kids. And he's on Highway 20, and I'm on Georgia 20. And I was crying so bad that all I could do was literally pull over on the side of the road because I couldn't see to drive. It sucked. 
But I embraced the suck. I didn't curl up in a ball and quit living. I was 33 years old. You think I was going to let what happened to me at 33 define the rest of my life? You must be freaking crazy. Never. What breaks your heart? Is it your relationship with your kids? Then get it fixed. Is what breaks your heart the fact that you haven't chased that dream you've had forever? Then go chase it. But what if? But what if? Who cares? What's the worst that can happen? Someone the other day said, man, I, I, what, what if I can't work it out with my kid? Your relationship with your kid sucks now, so how's it going to be any different? The only place you can go is up. So the other day, this is my freaking pet peeve in life. They only pay $10 an hour. I'm worth more than $10 an hour. Mofo, you ain't worked in two years. I'm not a smart man. But $400 a week's a whole lot more than no dollars a week, you idiot. I'm the wrong person to come to about that kind of stuff. Someone asked me one time, they said, what is your counseling philosophy? I said, it's called the bridge philosophy. The bridge philosophy, what is that? Never heard of that. I said, build a bridge and get over it. That's my philosophy. I I, I mean, embrace the suck, but I don't know what it is that breaks your heart. You're going to laugh at this because it's every year, but I, I feel like I'm in a different place mentally for the first time ever. Can I, can I tell you what it is now? I got, man, I got to knock on some wood because I don't want to jinx anything. My marriage is good. My relationship with my kids is good. Our finances are good. But you know what's not good? I get around my family at the holidays, and they start posting pictures of me, and I look like there's three of me. Instead of what there was, man, and, and for the first time, I, I'm, not, I'm not being loud about it. Here's what I'm doing. I'm not jumping on some fat, but I'm telling you, I'm broken over. Like, our bedroom now is upstairs. I'm 44 years old, and it hurts my knees to walk up the steps. Are you freaking kidding me? You see, that just seems minimal. It doesn't seem minimal. Because everything that I am, everything I do depends on my health. My career depends on my health. My marriage depends. Look, I married a woman 10 years younger than me. Listen, my health depends on, if I want the marriage of Bam Chicka Wow Wow, it depends on Bam Chicka Wow Wow. You know what I mean? Somebody say amen. <laughs> Wanting to go out and do stuff with my kids depends on my health. Christine, I told her something to blame. She, I saw her, she rolled her eyes. She should have rolled her eyes. Because I've said it so many times. But man, I, I, I'm telling you to keep me accountable. That's why that doesn't mean call me about it because I don't want that kind of accountability. Say, man, Christine, I'm just keeping myself accountable to you. Because man, for the first time ever, I think for the first time ever, I was legit broken. When you get on the scale, boom, and there's a number I ain't ever seen before in my life, and I get off the scale. And I flip the scale over and I recalibrate the scale because something's got to be wrong with the scale. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the scale. You know why I wore jeans today? You're going to laugh. Here's why I wore jeans today. Because I can't fit in these jeans. It's the only jeans I got. They're so tight on me right now I can't breathe. You say, why didn't you wear some shorts? Nope, because I want to embrace the suck of being uncomfortable. The answer is always go buy bigger clothes. I'm not going to buy bigger clothes. I want to continue to feel what's breaking my heart. What's the area in my life I'm not giving my best in? What breaks your heart? Some of you come home to a loveless marriage. Fix it. Takes two to fix it. Now, the Bible says every man must give an account for himself. You start doing what you're supposed to do. But uh, no, no, you just want it to be fixed instantly. You, you want to fix in three weeks what took you 15 years to break. <laughs> what breaks your heart? 
The wall broke Nehemiah's heart. It crushed him. Once something legitimately breaks your heart, and it, you weep over it for days, and you mourn over it for days, and you get to the point that you're willing to quit doing whatever it is, is stopping you from fixing it, then and only then maybe you can begin to fix it. But as long as you're making excuses, as long as you're not willing to do what needs to be done, you'll never do it, and you'll never do it till your heart's broken over it. What crushes you? Man. I told someone the other day, I love a comeback story. But you know what? You can't have a comeback story if there's no fall. Gotta have the fall to come back. Some of you need to realize, man, I'm going to rebuild. New year, new me, whatever. If that gets you out of bed in the morning, new year, new you, whatever, I don't care. Whatever it takes. The problem is some of you are going to start, I'll start tomorrow. I'm going to have my last drink today. I mean, I mean, I bought it. I spent, I spent $10 on that bottle. Might as, well, might as well not waste it. You weak ass. This is the problem. I don't have notes. I cuss too much, Christine says. If I'd have had that in my notes, I'd have said the same thing because that's how serious I take this. I watched it. I watched it this last week. Well, I mean, New Year's Day is a Friday. I mean, I, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to celebrate all weekend. I'll start on Monday. Shut up. You ain't going to get through to Wednesday. Christine said, you want something to drink? And I said, no, I don't want anything to drink on New Year. Why? Not that she was trying to get me drunk, but I was like, because I, I don't want to feel like crap tomorrow because I'm starting what I need to do tomorrow. Some of you need to get to the point where you're done with excuses. But again, that'll never happen until you're broken over it. I probably could have worded this better because it's more than just this, but this is a good starter. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to get down, kneel down and pray. Really, what I meant more so than just praying, though praying is, is, is the first step in the vital vitality of this, is you've got to get God involved in what it is you're trying to do. When I heard these things, I sat down, I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted. You say, what is fasting? Fasting is the doing without food. I'm fasting from television. Shut up, you ain't fasting. Fasting at its core means I'm substaining from food. And the time that I spent eating, I'm replacing it, communicating with God. It's not just the abstaining, it's the replacing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting from meat right now. Well, that's food, so okay, we'll, we'll buy it. A lot of people do the Daniel fast going into the new year. But it's food. It's not, it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm abstaining from uh, whatever. No, it's food. Because food controls us. Food causes us to live. He, he knew the seriousness. of so someone asked me, how long should I? Someone came to me one time and they said, man, my kid is this, this, and this. And I feel led to fast. How, how long should I fast for? I said, I guess till you get an answer. How important is it to you? Do you want to fast one day? Fast one day. If it's my kid, I'm going to go as long as I can go before I die. I fasted 39 days one time. 39 straight days, no food. 15, 16 years ago. Before I moved to Canton to start a church. That's why when the crap hits the fan and people talk about me leaving Canton, I'm not leaving Canton. I, I fasted about coming to this town. God called me to this town. And until he releases me from that, and I pray all the time that he does where I can go live on the beach, but he ain't answered that yet, this is where I'm going to be. I said, why'd you go 39 days? Because I felt like God told me to. I wanted to go 40, because that's what Jesus said, but I knew if I went 40, I'd get arrogant about it. So I broke it on day 39. Which is how my stupid mind works. 
He sat down and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. He said, God, I'm about to step out and begin to rebuild something and I need you involved in it. God, I need you involved in restoring my marriage. I've done everything that I can do to restore it and to rebuild it and I need you to get involved in it. God, I don't understand what's going on and why my life has been such a disaster and I'm at, at such and such age and I can look back and I really have nothing to prove for, but I'm ready to flip a switch. But God, I, I've proven over and over and over. I can't do it on my own. I need you to get involved in it. I'll never forget someone that's real close to us, Christine. I don't even know if you remember this. And they were going through marriage problems. And Christine said, you need to get God in the middle of your marriage. And remember, they laughed at you. God, give me a break. Guess what? Their marriage is over now. And the one person can't move on from their marriage because they have so much regret and so much guilt. And literally, he's imploding his life over it. I wonder if he could go back in time in that DeLorean to that conversation with Christine and he knew what he knew now if he'd have wanted to make sure God was in the midst of his marriage. We're smoking what we're selling when it comes to God around here. This isn't some tradition we do. This isn't some religion we do. This isn't something we do out of duty. We believe there's a God And the Bible says he has the hairs on our head numbered. For some people like, I won't name you, but some people that's not hard. But for some of you like Phil, man, I mean, how do you know how many hairs? That's a lot of hair. That's how much God cares about us. The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's the God I want on my program. Till you get God involved, you might overcome it for a week. You might overcome it for a... I'm, I'm going to get real real with you for a minute. And I didn't even ask if I could tell the story. You're probably going to listen to the live feed right now and get real mad. How many of you have ever heard me brag about my dad? I love my dad. And remember I told you my dad's been sober 37-something years and blah, 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 blah. 37 years. Guess what? He ain't sober anymore. Showed up at my brother's football game so drunk he fell down the steps. Why are you broadcasting this business out there? Do the crime. Because he wanted to help you. Let me rephrase that. He is sober now. Turns out he'd been drinking for five years secretly. Let me tell you why he's been drinking for five years. Because I watched over the last five years them make some decisions that move them further and further away from God. My mom got to peek behind the curtain like in the Wizard of Oz after working at a large church and probably justifiably so being done wrong. I got done by the church. I'm, I'm never going back. I'm mad at God. We get done by jobs all the time, but we find new jobs and keep on going. Ain't that funny? Some of you women get done wrong by men all the time, but you're back with another man three weeks later. <laughs> Did I say that? convenient how we put God in. I'm telling you, that's his problem. He'll tell you that's his problem. I've had deep discussions with him about it. Quit working the steps. He quit, he, he, he can't, he quit putting 30-something years later. Now he's my dad, and we don't raise losers in our family. So he flipped a switch and realized, i got to get my crap together. He's working those steps and going to a meeting and he's doing what what he feels he needs to do to get back right. And guess what? He's sober again. 21 days, I think. No, no, excuse me. Yeah, 21 days. Three weeks, right around that thing. He could have felt sorry for himself and wallowed in it. I mean, after that long, he couldn't just have a drink? No, obviously not. No. We're not going to coddle him. Come over to our house for Christmas. You can come over to Christmas. You need to understand people are going to be drinking. Don't be weak. Of course, if he drinks in my house, I'll, I'll slap him across his fret face. 
got to get God involved. I've seen my dad and heard my dad talk more about God in the last month or so than I heard him talk the last five years. My dad was on fire for God growing up. I'm, I'm in church because of my dad. That's the problem with anything. Your marriage, your kids, anything. You quit working, you, sh- you quit working. You got a car, you never get any maintenance on it, you never take care of it, it just breaks down eventually. We think things are going good. You don't need to go to counseling when your marriage is falling apart. Go to counseling for a checkup every now and when your marriage is going good. Make sure it's still lining up right. Get some accountability around you when it's going good. But get him God involved. Nehemiah knew he couldn't sit out and rebuild this wall if God wasn't involved in what he was doing. And the problem with so many is you asking God to get involved in what you're doing instead of you getting involved in what God's doing. What God's doing in your life is what he broke your heart about. He made it clear where you ought to be going. But you want to fight it. I got to get out of here. I'm hungry. What breaks your heart? We're going to get God involved in it. And then finally, you got to stand up and take action. Let me make this as clear to you as possible. You can ask God to get involved all day long. But God's not going to magically zap you. God, I, I, need, I need help financially. God's never going to stroke you a check through the mail that says, God, first bank of heaven. God, I've been asking God to help me with my finances. And the next thing that you're complaining about all the overtime at work. Mm. Asking God to get involved in this. And you just went and got deeper in debt. You've got to stand up and take some action. If someone else has to pick you up to get you to take action, you'll never get help. I tell people all the time, you want it for the addict more than they want it. It's never going to work. You want them to discover their purpose more than they want them to discover their purpose. It's not going to work. They got to want it. And you know you want it when you're finally willing to do something about it. Nehemiah decides he's got to do it. I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I'm going to talk about this next week. He comes up with a plan to do it. But he knows the last hurdle in doing it is he's got to go to the king. Remember, he works for the king. It ain't a matter of being like, deuces, king, here's my two-week notice. I'm gone. That ain't how it works. Matter of fact, he's going back to rebuild the wall of a city that the king of Persia took over and that country is the one who destroyed the walls in the first place. But it was weighing on Nehemiah. I'm going to break this down next week. You'll see in chapter 2, he was sad. He was upset because his heart was still broken. So much so the king noticed it and said, Man, what's wrong with you? What's up with you? <laughs> but I said to the king, chapter 2, verse 3, May the king live forever. He's smart. Butter him up. Hey, may the king live forever. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? May the king live forever. I know you overtook that city, but why shouldn't I be sad? My heart's broke over something. And the king said to me, what is it you want? Whoo! That's key right there. What is it you want? God's asking you today, what is it you want? Nehemiah could have sugarcoated it. He could have hem and hawed about it. He could have gave 90% answer of what he wanted, but he had to go all in, chips on the table, 100%. He knows before I answer, I'm going to pray real quick to the God of heaven. Let me go back to that prayer thing. I need God involved in this answer. And I answer the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me. He's smart. He's letting the king think it's his idea. Let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. His heart was broken over it. He got God involved in it. But he knew that wasn't going to be enough. He had to take the steps to physically leave the comfort of his job 
which was a good job, and go back to where he didn't know anybody and rebuild the wall for his ancestors. It's not enough to recognize you got a problem. That's huge. That's the first step. You'll never get over it until you recognize what needs to be rebuilt. You'll never get over it till you're honest about it. Second thing is you need to get God on the program. But eventually you got to put up or shut up. It ain't enough to realize there's a problem. I know all kinds of, I got a problem. Well, Lottie freaking die. Good. You've heard me growl about my weight for years. I know I got a problem. Me knowing I had a problem, never did anything about it. Eventually, you've got to take the steps. You've got to put a plan in place. What's the old saying? If you work the plan, the plan will work. I always get a kick. We did the Dave Ramsey class right before COVID. And I always sit back and laugh. And I love it. The stupidity of people is what I love. As they start to explain to the teachers, this is phenomenal, but it won't work for me. You don't understand my situation. Yes, you're right. Millions upon millions of millions of people have used that plan and got themselves financially free. But you're the one that it won't work for. You're the one person in the world who can spend more than they make and it not affect them. (laughs) You're the one alcoholic who can still have a drink every now and then. No, you can't, you stupid idiot. You can't. And you're not willing to give it up. I'm the one guy who can continue to eat cheesecake and chocolate chip cookies and lose weight. Why doesn't it work? I don't get it. Got to put a plan together. I'm going to break down the plan next week. Nehemiah put it together. Boy, he had a plan. It's not enough just to take action. You got to have the plan. But you got to be willing to work the plan for the plan to work. You got to take action. I love those saying, I think it was Martin Luther who said, pray like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on you. Man, I realize it's all God, but you got to put the steps in place. You got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You got to stands all you can stands and you can't stands no more. You got to be willing to take action. You got to be willing to take action. <laughs> Even if no one around you believes you're going to take action. Someone told me the day said I want to step out and do my own business, but my wife just doesn't have faith in me. And I looked at him and said, why should she have faith in you? What, what, what do you mean? I said, I've known you for three years. And you've been in financial straits for three years. Why should she have faith in you? I said, build the faith. Show her that you can make sure the bills are paid around here. Show her that you can keep this job while you're getting your side job going until you build that side job up where it can replace. You might have to work a little bit. You might not be able to binge watch Breaking Bad on Netflix because you're working, but you can do it. Talking to a buddy of mine last week, he's trying to get a business going, and he was texting me. Man, I need X amount, I need $10,000. I need to get this in the next 30 days. And I said, what are you doing right now? Watching football? Oh, I said, well, I'd be out hustling right now. In his line of work, he can go hammer door to door and put out stuff. Well, it's a day of rest. Huh? It's a day of rest when you work six days before. You ain't worked the last six days. You don't need the rest. Not want to take the action. In 30 days, he'll say, oh, God just didn't provide. No, you didn't provide. God gave you the resources to do it. You just didn't do it. 
I don't know what needs to be rebuilt in your life, but you do. You know what it is. I wouldn't care how old I was. If you told me I only had five years to live, five years is a long time. I'm not going to sit in my misery for the next five years. I'm going to make those five years the best years of my life. What breaks your heart? What is it you need to rebuild? That's the key thing. You need to get God involved. And you need to ask yourself. Because if you're not willing to do step three, take action, I'll go ahead and save you, save you the heartache. Don't come to church next week. Because next week's sermon will be irrelevant to you. If you're not willing to do step three, take action. Because I'm going to show you how to take action next week. This is one of those sermons that's going to build on each other every week. So if... so. I might have just gave you the Sunday off. Because you're not going to take action. So save yourself the heart of coming next week. Don't even log in and watch it online. Because you're going to get nothing out of it. I heard Revolution Church broadcast their sermons online. Log in and watch it. Liberty Hill broadcast their sermons online. Log in and watch that. Now come back in two weeks. But next week go watch another church. Because you're going to get nothing out of next week's message. If you're not willing to do step three. Take action. You say, is it that simple? It's that simple. It's that simple. <laughs> but it's so hard. Never mistake simple and easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Let's pray.